0: Good evening, it's good to see everyone here this evening, appreciate you all being here. Tonight is going to be a little different, Um, a little bit of housekeeping things to do, and um, kind of in a transition between series of lessons, so we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, First, just let me mention that we have concluded our series on the parables, and I enjoy doing the series kind of lessons on Sunday night, so I thought, that we'd start up another one, um, but I haven't quite decided what that's going to be, so if you have some suggestions, please let me know. Um, one thing I thought about is maybe doing the Sermon on the Mount, doing a series of lessons on the Sermon on the Mount, just one idea I had, but please, if you have any ideas on what you might like to hear over the next weeks and months, um, let me know, I'd be glad to, to hear what you might say. Um, as far as tonight's lesson, like I said, we're gonna we're transition here. I haven't quite decided what we're going to do next for a series, so the next couple of lessons on Sunday nights will be uh, just some things I have on my mind and um, some lessons that I want to bring to you that I hope will be beneficial. Um, as you can imagine, when um, you're studying for Bible classes and, and sermons, your, your mind um, kind of gets into a routine and you kind of start thinking about and looking about in your studies I always kind of go back to what your long-term studies might be and i keep finding myself going back to looking at the bible itself um, this wonderful book that we have um, that contains so much information um, and is such a wonderful book so what i thought i'd do tonight is pull some things um, from our study of the, of the bible survey some things that we've kind of touched on, but I, I had uh, information pulled together and just hasn't, haven't really presented it, so I thought, well, I'll, I'll present that as a lesson tonight to um, encourage you about this great book that we study. So you're going to hear some things probably that you've already heard, but um, tonight is just really about um, taking a look at, at the book. And and looking at some facts and looking at the the story of the Bible kind of in general terms. Um, And hopefully, like I said, deepen our appreciation uh, for this great book. So, what I wanted to talk about tonight was um, this unique book that we have um, this book we call the Bible, the Old and New Testament collected together, and the complete revelation of God that we can hold in our hands. And it is quite a unique book. So I wanted to spend a little time to talk about some of the uniqueness of this book. Start off talking about um, what no other book has. Some things that no other book has like the Bible. No other book has taken so long to complete or to compile. If we think about the years it took to uh, from the very earliest writings all the way through John's Revelation, some, however you put the numbers together, some 1,600 years or so uh, that it took to compile this book. No other book, um, and there's a typo right there, so please ignore that, no other book has been translated into more languages. i will talk about that in just a little bit more detail here in just a second. As well as this, no other book has sold as many copies. No other book has transformed as many lives. If you think about what this book has done, how many lives this book has transformed over the years. Really, you can't put a number on it, but it's staggering to think about. No other book has caused so much division between nations or between people. If you think about Uh, the Word of God, and it's described as a sword. And it's described that way because it divides people. It certainly does, because it is the truth. No other book has inspired so many people to read and to write and to think. Think about me standing up here tonight. I'm standing up here because this book has inspired me to want to preach the Word of God. And so my life is dedicated to that. And I'm just one person out of many thousands. Let's talk about some Bible facts. As I mentioned, it's written over a period of about 1,600 years. That's a long time. How long has our country been here Over just over two hundred years, we've been a country. Talking about sixteen hundred years, in compiling the Bible, through forty generations, some forty authors from all walks of life. And this is really one of those things I think that's so fascinating about the Bible. We think about who the writers are. We have people like Moses. We spend a lot of time talking about Moses and him writing the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. He would be a political leader. He was educated in, in Egypt. Think about all the things that Moses went through. And think about the perspective that he had to be able to write what he wrote. Think about Joshua, the successor to Moses. The military leader that would take them into the promised land. Moses having come up to the edge of it and been able to see it, but not being able to cross over into it because of his disobedience. So There's Joshua that takes him into the promised land and leads the campaigns to take over the people of Canaan. Think about Solomon, the philosopher, the king, ruled during a time of peace, had time to write many things, many psalms, many proverbs. Think about Daniel, served in the palaces of Babylon, who would not bow down to the king. In the New Testament, think about Luke, the physician. If you read Luke's writings, the book of his gospel and the book of Acts, also written by Luke, we see also a historian. And he puts things very succinctly and in order in very Easy to read through and hear and see the historical account that Luke lays out. It comes from a scientific mind. You think about the perspective that he puts on it. About Matthew, the tax collector. Uh, I've mentioned this before in classes. Tax collectors were not looked upon very fondly in this culture. So here's Matthew putting his humanity. Into his writing, led by the Holy Spirit, please understand. How about Paul? Paul the tent maker, who would go on to write so much of the New Testament his writings, his letters going back and forth to people. All walks of life, from kings to tax collectors, all these men responsible and more for the writings of the Bible. The Bible is also written for many different places, different locales, different areas of the world. Think about where Moses is writing in the wilderness. The 40 years there that they're, they're destined to wander in the wilderness. And here's Moses putting his writings together. Think about Joshua from the battlefields. Think about the, the time that he would have to, to, to sit and pen the words that he would write or have written. Solomon in the palace, we mentioned him, the the king in the time of peace. Think of the perspective that he had, especially our study in Ecclesiastes, we looked at the time that Solomon had to think about the things that he wrote down, and the money and the wealth and the power that he had to make whatever he wanted happen. The perspective that he had, the places where he was writing from. We mentioned Luke, Luke was a traveling companion of Paul during some of the time in the book of Acts. You can look through there and see when he's traveling with Paul. We look at a pronoun and when it says, we were going to such and such a place, as opposed to they were going to such and such a place. I mean, that means Luke was traveling with him. So there are times that Luke is traveling with Paul on his missionary journeys. And Paul, some of his writings are during the time that he's incarcerated. During the time that he's in prison. And those come, that time comes out in his writings. Think about John. John in exile on the island of Patmos. And he writes the book of Revelation. Final book that we have in the New Testament. Final book that we have in, in the Bible. It speaks about Jesus winning. And about the view of heaven that, he, that John has shown. And through all this, of course, this is all written during different times. Not only different places, but different times. During times of war, during times of peace. Think about um, the war uh, that Joshua has to go through, conquering the land. And then the times that are mentioned of of David and his battles, leading up to the time when Solomon comes in and and Israel has a time of peace. And the temple is built. There's times of exile, persecu- persecution, and journeying, as we just mentioned. Not only were they these writers um, in one location, sometimes they were traveling from place to place, writing these things down. Along with those places, we think about this, it's written on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe in three different languages, Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. We talked about, in the beginning, about the translations and and all that. I found this going through some things. Translated into, as of 1993, translated into 337 languages as of 1993. 2062 languages have translations of at least one of the books of the Bible over 2,000 languages. I didn't even know there were that many languages. (laughs) It's pretty shocking. (laughs) But at least one book of the Bible has been translated in over 2,000 languages. Isn't that astonishing? And it's hard to, to put a number on it, but a couple of sources I read, and even these were estimates, over 5 billion copies of the Bible sold. That's staggering. We talk about how long it took to compile the book. How long the Bible has survived. The Bible's survival. Think about that it, it was written on perishable materials for hundreds of years, on animal skins and papyrus that was beaten out and made into paper. It didn't last forever. Those things would deteriorate over time, so they had to be recopied. Copied and copied and copied. Had to be recopied by hand over and over and over again. No Xerox machines, no fax machines, no copiers for a long, long time. They had to be recopied by hand over and over again. And yet what's so astonishing about that is its accuracy. The accuracy of the Bible is nearly perfect. When we think about years and the time, and the circumstances, and the different men. How all that can be nearly perfect. In fact, there's only minor, non-critical errors and that's mainly in translation variations. I had more information on this, but it's a little deep in understanding, but there are some errors in it, but it mainly comes from translation and they don't change the meaning of the words which makes it the new testament 99.5% pure to come up with that number there i think about that number 99.5% that's really close to 100% and in this there's o- over 5300 greek manuscripts from which the new testament has been translated 5300 corroborating manuscripts. To give you some perspective on this, and I hope you can see this, um, the top line here is the New Testament, written between the dates of 48 and 100 A.D., roughly. The earliest copy uh, shows up around 125 A.D., which means it's 25 years removed from the original writing. Over 5,300 copies of Greek manuscripts of the New Testament text. To put these in perspective, go side by side here, here's the writings of Homer. You probably remember him. Written written around 900 B.C., earliest copy around 400 B.C. That's a span of 500 years from the the last writings to the first copy. Some 500 years compared to 25 years. So that shows you how close the copies were to the original writing in the New Testament. And how many copies of Homer's Iliad, Odyssey, those things that he wrote? 643. Go on down the list here. Writings of Caesar, a thousand years in between the writings and the first copies. How many corroborating copies? Ten. Euripides, lots of Greek names in here. There's plenty. Seven copies. Plato, twelve hundred years between the last writing and the copies. Seven corroborating manuscripts. All the way down to the number five. Verses fifty three hundred. That's staggering. These kind of things give us faith in the Bible that we hold and read and know that we're reading the Word of God the way this all comes together. Over the years, of course, political and religious leaders have tried to destroy it. There's a quote here that I found was pretty interesting. No other book has been so chopped, knifed, sifted, scrutinized, and vilified, what book on philosophy or religion or psychology has been subject to such a mass attack as the Bible? With such venom and skepticism, with such thoroughness and erudition, upon every chapter, line, and tenet, and yet the Bible is still loved by millions, read by millions, and studied by millions. Even though over the years religious and and political leaders have tried to destroy it, Through book burnings, through confiscation, the Bible survives. And it still has that power. Even under all this scrutiny, think about how many people, how many people do you run into every day that try to tell you that the Bible's wrong? It doesn't stand up. The Bible is a book of. Lots of things that we could put in here. We've been talking about this here recently. Just a couple of things to think about. The Bible is a book of history. We mentioned that the books of the, books of the law also include history. Going all the way back to creation, the creation of everything. Through the flood. Through the patriarchs. Through Moses leading the children of Israel. All the history lines that pass through the, through the Old Testament into the New Testament. The Bible is a book of prophecy along with all of that all the history all the writing all the laws of the uh, that the Jews were held to there's the prophecy that weaves through all of that beginning there in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve's sin and the pronouncement against that and God setting up the eventual redemption of mankind the coming messiah that line traces all the way through the Old Testament and this fulfillment in the New Testament. One thing that about the, the Bible that um, I personally find so intriguing are the human accounts. God could have chosen any way he wanted to, to put his word down. He could have, those stones, those tablets of stones that Moses came down from Mount Sinai, if God would have chosen, we'd still have those. We'd have maybe have the New Testament written on tablets of stone. However, God might have chosen to write or to preserve or to tell man what he is supposed to do, God could have chosen. But we see him using humans, the accounts of humans, the writings of humans, to tell us about him and about how we are to serve him. Adam and Eve's terrible mistake, Noah's drunkenness, Abraham's cowardice when he tells that Sarah is his sister, not his wife, Moses' disobedience and striking the rock, David's adultery and murder, Peter's impulsiveness. We learn from all these humans. We can identify with a lot of those things, can't we? Maybe not too many, hopefully. These are humans. And they went through trials and tribulations. And we see the mistakes that they made. And God hopes we don't make the same mistakes. That humanity comes through God's Word. The Bible is a book of influence. Think about how many literature books have been influenced by the Bible. How much of literacy, of literature, and literacy, how much of literature has been influenced by the Bible? I came across this quote, if every Bible in any considerable city were destroyed, the book could be restored in all its essential parts from the quotations on the shelves of the city public library. I like the the sentiment in that. If you destroy all the Bibles, if someone were to come to Bradenton and say we're going to destroy all the Bibles, you go to the city library, find quotations enough to reconstruct the Bible. Its influence in literature is without question. Think about the Bible's influence in judicial systems. Think about some of these things. Murder, stealing, adultery, lying. We have laws against those things. Some of them. We don't have a law against adultery, but there are certainly civil implications for adultery. And lying, if you embezzle or money from your company, or some kind of corruption, it's a crime. Where does that come from? It's come from God's laws. Our judicial system is based on God's laws. A lot of people won't, don't want to think that, but it's true. We know right and wrong because of what God has told us. Just want to spend just a moment to talk about the Bible story in a very short manner. I talk about the Bible story beginning with the creation of everything. Everything. In Genesis 1 and verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If you're going to write a book about history, it's a pretty good place to start. With the creation of everything that's in the universe. The Bible tells of paradise lost in Genesis. That fateful day when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. And it goes from the paradise lost in Genesis to the paradise that is awaiting us in heaven, as John describes in Revelation. Book-ending the entire Bible. Paradise lost and the paradise that awaits us when this life is over. Back to where the tree of life is. It tells of the flood and the patriarch, Moses, leading the Israelites. It tells of the fall of Israel, after they'd come into the land and go through the period of of the judges that we're just talking about now in our Bible survey class, where they'll get into this vicious cycle, where nations will come in and persecute them. They'll cry out to God. God will save them through a judge. There'll be a little bit of time of peace, and then they'll go right back to the same place where they were before. Through that, through the kings, until eventually the kingdom is divided, and Israel and Judah fall. And they're restored only to partial glory that it once had. And as we mentioned, woven through all of that story is the, is the promise, the prophecy of the coming Messiah. And how God would redeem mankind through the man Jesus Christ. Then we have the angels telling of the virgin birth. Telling that indeed this one that has been prophesied is going to be born. When Jesus grows up, we have a couple of glimpses of him as a young man. But mostly we see him in his ministry, for three years in his ministry, in the region of Galilee. He teaches and performs miracles, and he duels with the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, which he battled with so many times. And then finally, towards the end of his life, he sets out for Jerusalem. He sets his face towards Jerusalem, knowing that he has to go there and to suffer, to be put on trial, and to be put to death, to be buried, and to be raised on the third day. Crucified, buried, and resurrected. Then the apostles go into all the world, and they tell that story. That's the gospel message. The death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Apostles go into all the world to tell people about that. And because of that people are saved from their sins. And then, as we mentioned, John concludes with the story of Jesus' victory. The book of Revelation is a little difficult to understand. It is a book of prophecy. It's written in a certain kind of language. And sometimes we have a hard time understanding it. But I've always heard it said this way. If you really want to understand what Revelation is about, it's Jesus wins. The final analysis of it all. Jesus Christ reigns as Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords. And that's what the book of Revelation talks, talks us tells us about. The Bible is a book that we should love. The Psalmist in Psalm 119, 140 says, "Your word is very pure." Therefore, your servant loves us. And the 119th Psalm is all about the Word of God. But I like the, the fact that this says that your servant loves it. Do you have a love for the Bible? Do you have a love for God's Word? All that we just talked about, that ought to make us love it even more. Knowing its history, what it's been through, the Persecution. Your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. And God has set out that his word will accomplish his will. What he says will come true. What he says will happen. And we see it over and over and over again. The scripture tells us that it will. In Isaiah 55, verse 11, he says, So will my word by by which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding the matter for which I sent it, God just doesn't speak random words. The words which he speaks have a purpose. They have a meaning. And he says those words aren't going to come back to me without accomplishing what I want them to accomplish. So when he tells us he wants to save men from his sins, that's what he wants to do. And through his word... That can be accomplished. Matthew 5 and verse 18 says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. The smallest letter or stroke. His word is going to be accomplished. And his word tells us that he's going to save man from their sins. And he sent Jesus Christ to do that. And in the final analysis, I've referred to this a couple of times, in the book of Revelation, we see the final end, when the devil and death are put to death, when there is no more, and all that's left are the righteous servants of God. That's what God's word will accomplish. So when we think about God's word and understand, hopefully, a little better about how this book came to be. I hope that we'll be like the psalmist that loves the Word. I hope that you will deepen your appreciation and your love for God's Word. And I hope that you will um, find the lessons that we're doing on Wednesday night to be encouraging in that way. We're looking at how the Bible is put together. And how these men have written these things down. And these things have been preserved. And the story that goes through. So I encourage you to be here on Wednesday nights for that. And to be encouraged by that study. Appreciate you. Your kind attention tonight. Not a normal lesson I would normally give on a Sunday night. But I thought it would be encouraging. And we can always understand that... God has given us his will and he's explained it very carefully so when we come together we come together to edify one another and encourage one another and we always look to God's word or we should be looking to God's word to do that it's not what I say it's not the words that I might put together my intent is to always point you to scripture and let you understand let God's word speak so I hope you've been encouraged by this we have a At our time here closing, we offer an invitation. If there's any among us here that need any special prayers or anything of the congregation, you can let that be known. And you can let that be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.